I think more people have to be honest with themselves and it's okay to not like certain things about you, but as long as you're being proactive about fixing them, that's the way to go. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Priori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I'm super excited about this episode because guess what? I get to answer the questions of the listeners. Q&A time, baby, with your boy, Danny. We're going to be talking mental health and a whole bunch of other stuff. But yeah, let's get right into it. All right. I love you guys, and I want to answer these questions the best that I can with the best brain that I have. It's not the best, but it's mine, and it's cool. But so let's get into Mia underscore Leanne. Stupidest thing you've ever cried or panicked about. Mine, I ran over a bird and heard the crunch. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. You heard the crunch? It's kind of kind of intense, Mia. You know what I'm saying? Listen, any kind of animal murder is going to make me cry. You know what I mean? I, I have a soft spot for animals. It's because I think maybe I'm a borderline sociopath. I do have a soft spot for animals. I really do. I would say the stupidest thing I've ever cried over or panicked about, it's not the stupidest thing, but the thing that always makes me cry are like veterans coming home, you know, and then like they go to like their kid's classroom and it has like Daughtry playing in the background. I'm coming home to a place where I belong, you know, and like, they haven't seen their dad. They're dressed up as like a catcher at a baseball game. And then they take the catcher's mask off and it's their dad. And then their whole family runs and hugs them. That's stuff that makes me cry. Stuff like that. <laughs> but the dumbest thing I've ever panicked about, I remember one time I was in Whole Foods and I couldn't find the right seasoning. I was looking for, no, no, it wasn't Whole Foods. It was Trader Joe's. And I was looking for like this coffee rub for steak and I couldn't find the coffee rub. And as I was panicking, I already went into the store kind of panicky. So like as I was going into the store, I'm already kind of panicky. I'm kind of flipping out a little bit. And I can't find this fucking goddamn coffee rub. So while I can't find the coffee rub, I'm starting to panic because I want to get out of the store as fast as possible. But I can't find this coffee rub. And I'm also so nervous to ask somebody, hey, do you know where this coffee rub is? Because I don't like to ask people in stores where things are. I don't know if that's a man thing or just a weird thing that I do, but that's me. That's what I have to deal with when I go in there. But that's probably the stupidest thing I've ever panicked over. I don't like asking people for directions and or help. That makes me anxious. So I kind of have to go through the motions myself. But yeah, the stupidest thing I've ever panicked over was coffee steak rub for a skirt steak that I was going to make. Good question. Next question is from Kitokiki. How has doing stand-up affected your mental health? Here's the thing. I say this a lot. Doing stand-up, I actually feel safe when I'm doing it because I'm in like this weird protective like energy bubble where 
I'm thinking so much about the set and what I'm going to be saying that I almost don't have time to be panicky and anxious when I'm on stage. But when I get off of stage, I get very anxious and very panicky because I have the adrenaline dump. And it sometimes it's tough for me to actually get through like the meet and greets after the show because I'm so anxious. I'm in such like an adrenaline dump mode that it actually causes me to break down a little bit. So I've been trying to work through that. I would say the thing that affects me the most mentally is probably the travel. I like to be at home. I like to have all of my like my trinkets and toys, my animals and my wife. So when I don't have that and I'm stripped of those things on the road, I can get very anxious and very panicky. But thankfully, I travel with a great group of guys that are able to bring me back in and have me enjoy the process while I'm doing it. But yeah, if anything, I would say that stand up has actually helped my mental health a lot because I've been able to prove something to myself that I've wanted to prove for a very long time. So that's how stand up has affected my mental health. Kotokiki. Thank you so much for your question. The next question we have is from our friend Curtis Nicholas 94. How did marriage affect your outlook on self-care or personal mental health? Great question. I was just talking to a couple people about this the other day. Before you're married, you're not really worried about your self-health because you're still in it on your own. I always felt like, oh, you know, it's just me. She can leave like whenever she wants. It's still a relationship, but it's not it's not solidified yet. You know what I mean? It's like when the taxes come around, you could still file single. You don't file married. So there's still that little bit of tether that you have to like the single world that you kind of can just go about life however the fuck you want. After I got married, I started to realize that, wow, we I need to start exercising more. I need to watch my diet. I need to be more productive with my professional life. I need to be more productive with my communication, I need to be more productive with helping out around the house, et cetera, et cetera. So it's stressful. Like I said, if you could see, I don't know if they're showing up. Before I got married, I had no white hair in my beard. Now I have a ton. And I think it's just the stress of wanting to be a good husband and want to uh, provide a good life for yourself, but also the person that you're with. So it becomes a little stressful. It becomes something that can be difficult to deal with at times because you don't want to let somebody else down. So it's an added stressor for sure. I would have to say that it's affected me in a positive light because it's actually forced me to be a little more proactive about my future and taking care of myself. So that's how marriage has affected my outlook. We're a team now, so I have to pull my weight, no pun intended, but hopefully I'll be pulling a little less weight by this time next year. But that's a great question, Curtis. Thank you so much. And this is from Kenzie McInartel. I had, I know my therapist was right for me. I tried a couple. I had a bunch of uh, people that I didn't really link with. My first therapist was like a 74 year old, like man who I'm almost sure fell asleep during our first session. Didn't like him at all. Didn't even want to give him a second chance. He called me to see if I wanted to do a follow-up. And I was like, nah, bro, you're an old man. You don't really get what I'm going through right now. I tried a, a female therapist. For some reason, I felt like I couldn't share fully in there. I don't know. That was just me. And then I, I landed upon a therapist, my therapist now, who's a guy. And he's a couple years younger than me, actually. Yeah, I think he's like 32, 31. He's relatively new, but I feel like we could speak relatively the same language. And he's as passionate about his work as I am about getting better. 
So that's how we linked up. It's a lot of trial and error. You know, it's tough with insurance. It's tough with a lot of uh, there's loopholes, be able to find people and it's expensive. I know. But thankfully, I've been in a position where I've been able to actually try and have trial and error when it comes to dealing with therapists. But if you're out there and you're struggling to find a therapist, just don't give up. I, I swear there's somebody out there for you, you know, with anything that's worth it in life, you got to work for it. And sometimes working for it is bouncing from office to office for a little bit until you find that right fit. And I hope that you find your right fit as well. Kenzie Ziakam and Martel. <laughs> and underscore G says, what is one piece of advice that has pushed you through your anxiety and panic disorder to help you get to where you are today? I have health anxiety which makes me feel like I'm going to die all the time. So I'm not recommending this, but at this point, if my anxiety and panic gets so bad, I literally just tell myself in my mind that if I die, I die. Like if I die right here in this moment, I had a good run. You know, if, if, if the stuff that's really bothering me and driving me to a point where I'm having these panic attacks or to the point where I'm thinking I'm having a heart attack, let it be a real heart attack. You know, I'd rather have a real heart attack than deal with like anxiety and panic all the time. And I know that sounds crazy, but at least I would know exactly what it was that was happening to me in that moment. It can get treated. It's visible. That's kind of where I have to put my headspace in that if something catastrophic is going to happen, it's going to happen. I can't control it. Um, but I've had hundreds of panic attacks that I thought that I was going to die and I haven't died yet. So it's kind of like a weird loophole that I've kind of found in it. It doesn't work all the time, but it works like 95% of the time for me. Kind of just accepting that if I'm accepting death, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Putting your brain to the test, not letting that kind of stuff win. Some days it wins, some days I win, but it's about finding those coping mechanisms. But that coping mechanism has actually helped me a lot. Just being like, all right, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And then a couple minutes go by and I don't die and I don't have a stroke and I don't have a heart attack and I don't faint. So that's kind of what's been helping me get through those kind of situations. So, you know, give it a shot, I guess. <laughs> give it a shot. Your mind's going to play tricks on you. I like to play tricks back sometimes. Good question. This is from Adira Ashtill. What comforts you when you're sad or anxious? It's a good question. What comforts me when I'm sad and anxious is I like to step outside of the realm of anything that I kind of do for work. So, you know, a lot of the times like I am being funny and I'm doing stand up or I'm doing podcasts or I'm doing an appearance or, or I'm doing a lot of these other things. And a lot of that stuff is associated with work. So for me, the biggest thing that I've been doing is, is I've been trying to find some kind of physical activity to do when I do feel sad because everything is kind of a test for me. So I test myself to see if I actually feel better after doing something physical or reading or doing something outside of the norm is actually the things that have been helping me with either sadness or being anxious because my mind is not used to doing those things. So my mind's focus has to go to something else instead of all the physiological stuff that I'm feeling. I'm a big fan of playing tricks on my brain for playing tricks on me. That's usually what I've been doing, for, I would say, for like the last year or so, is just trying to be a little more proactive. And I'll be honest with you, I hate to exercise. I fucking hate that shit. I think exercise sucks ass. 
but it does help. It really does. I feel better about myself. I feel better. I feel accomplished. I feel that I've broken the cycle of my sedentary lifestyle when I do that. So it's very helpful for me. It really is. But I know that sounds like a corny answer, but if you take it from me, I hate doing anything physical. I felt like I did it all through my childhood, teens and 20s. You know, I feel like I like a retired basketball player at this point in my life. But yeah, just trying something outside of your comfort zone to kind of trick your brain a little bit. So that's kind of like what the big thing of uh, today's episode is tricking your brain and retraining your brain into having different kind of stimulants going on to take your mind off of those things that are making you feel wackadooty. Uh, it's a good question, though. I really hope I got your name right. This one is from Karis Harvey. Have you ever struggled with confidence and do you have any tips on how to improve it? I struggle with confidence all the time. There's days where I feel like I could be really good at my job. And then there's days I feel like I'm really bad at my job. And that's just something that comes and goes with me. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of myself all the time. I've come to a point where I've realized that if I want to be more successful, I'm going to have to work harder than everybody in the room or just as hard. So sometimes, you know, I have to figure out how to implement those things. It's never been my style to be the hardest working guy in the room. I've always been able to get through by, you know, my God-given talent, however you want to say it. I've been able to kind of skate through life doing that. But at some point, that can only get you so far. In those moments, I lose confidence for sure. But the tips that I would have to keep your confidence is... This is another one that's going to sound out of left field is I like to talk to myself. I like to give myself affirmations. I like to speak things into existence. I like to speak to myself kindly. You know, being able to speak to yourself kindly, I think, goes a long way. I feel a lot of time when people talk to themselves, it's usually something negative or we're being hard on ourselves or, you know, we're cursing or judging ourselves. I feel most people down talk themselves more than they actually up talk themselves. So if you're going to do that, what I like to do is I like to remind myself that I'm a good guy. I'm in a good space. I have a good life and there's going to be, you know, peaks and valleys. There's going to be financial stressors. There's going to be mental stressors. There's going to be relationship stressors, but you kind of have to keep your base and keep what's special about you in that moment and staying true to yourself and the things that you love about yourself. Write down everything that you love about yourself and then write down everything that actually you don't like about yourself. I think more people have to be honest with themselves and it's okay to not like certain things about you, but as long as you're being proactive about fixing them, that's the way to go. I am a big fan of positive affirmations and talking to myself. I love to talk to myself. I do it all the time. I'm literally doing it right now. It's one of my favorite things to do because I'm able to get things out of my brain and kind of into the universe and into a space where I could be comfortable speaking to myself in a good way when I was so comfortable in speaking to myself in a bad way, if that makes any sense. These have all been great questions. Very, very good. We have our last question here. It's from Weird Guy Noah. I already know it's going to be a great question because he's a weird guy and as am I. How can you tell someone you care about that you think they could possibly have bipolar in a nice way and politely recommend asking a psychiatrist about the possibility without upsetting them? Well, 
I wish I had a little more information about who this person is in your life, but it sounds like you care about this person. I would hope so. I would, in that situation, if you feel comfortable, it's all about how you present it. If you present it in a way that feels challenging, most people are going to shut down, become guarded. If you approach it from a place of care and you approach it in a place of honesty and saying, this is why I'm asking you this question, and I'm sorry if it offends you, but I really care about you, and I just want to know if this is something that maybe you've ever thought about, and maybe you guys can talk about it a little bit. Because maybe they're in a situation where they've been dying for somebody to ask that question. It's all about the presentation, and it's all about tone for me. I'm a big tone person. So if you're willing to get yourself in a room with that person alone, it's a good environment, and you can present it from a caring, loving, non-judgmental place, that would be the best way to do it. You don't want people to be on guard, especially when it comes to their mental health. I think a lot of people have their mental health a lot of the time is also working in parallel to their ego as well, if that makes any sense. So they're kind of running along the same road, different roads, but they're running alongside each other. And it's actually something that can be a trigger for people and set them off. But like I said, approach it from a place of care. For me, I used to hate hearing things about me when people would say, oh, you're like this or you're like that. And it was not good for me. It would always drive me a little bananas because I'm a tone guy. I didn't like the way that it was coming towards me. You know, the tone of it was really bothersome. So I would just say, be protective of yourself in that situation and also protective of their feelings because it's something that maybe they've want to talk about for a while, but they don't want to be judged for it. Another thing too is when those kind of situations happen, you would feel worse down the road if you didn't say anything than if you did say something. You know, life's too short. We're all going to be dead. Why not say something? It's the worst thing that happens. You guys don't talk for a little while, whatever. People got to learn to get over things sometimes in life. You can't expect to like not put work into your friendships or put work into yourself and things are just going to fix themselves. This is not how it works. But I am a big tone guy. Don't come to me and be like, hey, you got bipolar, bro. Now I'm going to fucking flip out. But if you approach it like, you know, you're re- being really nice about it. Now I might open up more to you because I feel safe in your presence and I feel protected by you. If that makes any sense, weird guy, Noah. But you know what also makes sense? Here's what also makes sense. I want everyone that listens to the show, I want you to go download the one-on-one app. The one-on-one app has been an amazing introduction to my life. Uh, I've been able to keep track of my exercise, keep track of my sleep, keep track of my journaling, which is a big thing that I fell off with. I'm just being honest with you. I fell off of my journaling. And the one-on-one app has been a great app for me to kind of wake up in the morning, actually take some time to talk about my day, talk about what I want to do, where do I see myself going for the day. I'm a momentary guy, if momentary is even a word, but I live in the moment. I can't afford to live any other way. I can only live in the moment because I get anxious. I can get very down on myself if I'm thinking way too far in the future or thinking too far in the past. So I have to live in the moment. The one-on-one app has really helped me be in the moment and actually be able to put stuff down that I want to get better at, stuff that I think I'm doing well, 
check up on my exercise, check out on how much me do I want to improve and kind of to have it in front of you all encompassing in the one-on-one app has really been a great addition to my life. And I think it would be a great addition for you as well. It's free. Go check it out. You can find it in the app store and you can find us anywhere, guys, at one-on-one OTC. Thank you guys so much for being a part of the community. It's been like two years we've been doing this and you guys know how important mental health is to me. And I really appreciate you guys reaching out, sending in questions, caring enough about the show and caring enough about me to be a part of an episode like this. To anybody out there struggling, just know we always have resources to try and help people get to where they need to get. So be willing to reach out to me. You can always email me at mentalmeetings at gmail.com. We're here to try and get people in the right positions to be able to help themselves and while helping each other. So that's always something that I've been really, really conscious about in terms of how we present ourselves and how we show our love to our community. I love you guys. Thank you so much for the questions. I have a great time answering your questions. And everything doesn't have to be so serious all the time. It's nice to have a laugh every once in a while when we're going through some bullshit. But I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Take some time. Ask yourself some questions. Stop and smell the roses. Live in the moment. Go check out the 101 app in the app store too. And uh, I will see you guys soon. I will see you down the road. I love you and peace. I'm out of here. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!